الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين ما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وعبد الله ولا تشركوا به شيئا وبالوالدين إحسانا وذي القربى واليتامى والمساكين والجار ذو القربى والجار الجنب صدق الله العلي العظيم my dear respected, most honourable elders, beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. First of all, we begin by humbly thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by glorifying and praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for enabling us with this unique and wonderful opportunity to congregate in His house, to worship Him, to glorify Him, and to send salutations upon His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we pray that Allah Azza wa Jal will continue to facilitate such wonderful opportunities for us in the future, insha'Allah ta'ala. If you remember last week, we spoke about uh, the importance of the natural environment um, in the Islamic tradition and how Islam always cares for the environment around it. And I mentioned that uh, scientists and philosophers have mentioned that there's not just one in- environment, there's thousands of different environments. Um, and we spoke about how in Islam, environments uh, is encapsulated, or the environment is encapsulated in the very first verse of, uh, of Surah Al-Fatiha, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, that all praises for Allah, the Lord of the Alameen. He's the Lord of all of the worlds, which is every single environment, every single thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created, um, we, as human beings, have sent as khali- have been sent, um, and our duty, and we're obligated to uh, be the vicegerents of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, the Khalifatullah fil Ard, where where the uh, representatives of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala upon this land. So we're the caretakers. That's our sole job and responsibility. So we have a natural, as Muslims, we have a natural responsibility to this land. Even though, it's interesting when you look at it, right, that Islam is a religion that, that, that talks about this abode being temp- temporary, this abode being fani, right? The next abode being uh, that which is going to remain and that which is going to be ultimately your final destination. And yet, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when the Prophet wasallam spoke about this land, he said, you know, this is, you're like a traveler taking shade underneath a tree. You're here for a short period of time. But ultimately, you came from elsewhere and your destination is elsewhere. Yet, yet, the Quran says that while you're here, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that while you're here on this land, you have a duty and you have an obligation. As in, this is part of our test. How are we going to respond? How are we going to take care of that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us? It's our duty to take care of our health, right? It's our duty. It's not somebody else's duty to take care of my health. It's not my doctor's duty to take care of my health. So I just do whatever I want to do, eat whatever I want to eat, right? Consume whatever I wish to consume and say, no, 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 it's my doctor's duty to take care of my health. I don't care. No, the responsibility falls on me. In exactly the same way, even though we're here for a short period of time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us a, um, a responsibility. Your responsibility is not only to take care of yourselves and your health, but the health of those around you. And the health of the environment around you. 
to such an extent that the social environment is also included in that. It's your job and your duty to ensure that poverty is not an issue. It's your job that not only do you protect yourself against poverty, you protect others against poverty too. Not only do you not try to inconvenience yourself, but you don't try to inconvenience others. So this is extremely important. And that, I just want to touch on that before we move on to what the actual uh, crux of, 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 uh, of the talk that I wanted to talk about today. And this, this, this last week's khutbah was born out of um, the response to, to the fires in Australia, which have killed over one billion uh, animals. This is one billion creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We should all feel aggrieved. Naturally, you know, we feel aggrieved when a human being is killed because that's ashraful makhluqat, right? Ashraful makhluqat means that this is the, the, the most prestigious of Allah's creation, the best of Allah's creation. Human beings are at the pinnacle of the creation of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself says, we've created you in the best form. We've made you the khalifa, right? So therefore, it's now your responsibility to take care of that and to take care of everything else that we have created too. So it's our responsibility to ensure that those around us, even the animals that are around us, are cared for. You know, the famous um, uh, statement from Sayyidina Umar, when Sayyidina Umar, in, during the time of Sayyidina Umar, Islam conquered huge, vast amounts, right? Vast amounts of, of lands, were, were, were occupied by Muslims or were conquered by Muslims and came under the Muslim control. Um, and there were so many people and the lands were so vast that one individual saw this as a burden. Sayyidina Umar said, you know, I have to take care of not only the people who I can see in front of me, but I have to take care of people that I've never seen and I probably will never see just because they fall under my control. And I've been made the Khalifa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on this earth. And I'm the Khalifa of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala an. So I have a responsibility to them when he said that if a dog was to die on the bank of the river Euphrates, which is on the opposite end of the Islamic empire, a dog was to die on the bank of the river Euphrates, Umar will be asked about it on Yom Al-Qiyamah. I will be questioned. That was his sense of, 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 of taqwa. Right? His sense of, of, of fear in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that fear that he won't be able to accomplish his task. That it's my responsibility to even care for the, for, for, for the animals. It's my responsibility to care for the people, people who I haven't even seen. If only our leaders today had such authority and, 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 and such selflessness within their actions. They, they worried about others. And they, like I, I, I spoke about last week, these companions that they would give preference over they would give preference of others over themselves even though they themselves were at a loss they were losing and yet they would give preference of others over themselves they were starving yet if they had some food they would prefer others to have it over themselves they were naked and yet if they were, they had clothes they would give preference of others over themselves this is taqwa Right? And this is something that ultimately is, is in the broader sense, all of this is only going to come about, our care for the environment, our care for our neighbors, which I'm going to be talking about today. Right? And neighborliness in Islam stems from our taqwa in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So improve your levels of taqwa 
automatically your relationship with the people, your relationship with this land, your relationship while you, your relationships while you're here upon this earth is automatically going to improve. That's that's what happens because when you care about what your your standing in front of Allah, and when you care, and and and, and you take great um, precautions in what you do so that you don't displease Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that begins to reflect in your character, it begins to reflect in your relationship with the people. You know, the, 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 those, we spoke about those pious leaders who valued um, the, the care of the land. There, there was, in Kitab al-Jihad, in uh, uh, Sunan Abu Dawood, he mentions a hadith from the Prophet sallallahu that one of the companions said we were on a journey with with the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and we came across a bird the size of, size of a sparrow and it had with it two chicks and it, it was there. And we seized the chicks, we took the chicks, whereupon the, the bird it started beating its wings and it started screeching uh, when we took away its chicks. And when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he turned and he saw what we had done, he immediately asked, who has separated this bird from its chicks? Who has separated this bird from its children? Return them at once. And so we returned those chicks to the, uh, the, 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 the mother uh, sparrow. This just, this, you know, the purpose of, of the ulama recording these, these, these books, the, these ahadith in their books, even though they may seem inconsequential, and even at the time they may have seemed inconsequential, but it just goes to show that the Prophet ﷺ didn't just care about the people, uh, people around him, he cared about the environment around him. We spoke about how uh, uh, Raynal A. Nicholson, he, you know, how impressed he was, and he's a famous historian, with, with the Muslim, treatments, Muslim treatment of animals going back thousands of, of, of years. In his book, The Mystic of Islam, that story that I mentioned last time, the story of Abu, Abu Yazid al-Bastami. You know, Abu Yazid, he, he, um, he purchased some cardamom seeds from Hamdan, and he was traveling to Bastam, where he, Bustam, where he lived and where he resided. And it's a journey of many months to get there. When he finally arrives at his destination, he opens a bag of seeds. And what does he notice? There's an ant colony that has gathered there. And this ant colony, obviously, you know, was, was from Hamdan. And he looked at it and he thought to himself, Subhanallah, I've, uh, I've taken these, these ants out of their natural environment and I brought them here, right? And this is no good. So he travels all the way back to Hamdan to place that ant colony in its original destination. This, this is extremely high levels of taqwa. Right? And belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that would lead a person to do something like that. That care and compassion, that consideration for others. And that's extremely important. When we look at the history of Islam, and we look at how impressed non-Muslims were by Muslim conduct, we'll find so many examples. The, the, the famous French writer Montaigne, he touched on this subject when he, when he went to the, uh, to the Ottoman lands and the Muslim lands. And he said that the Muslim Turks, and he was shocked by this. He came back and he said, you know the Muslim Turks? <laughs> they have hospitals for animals. They have hospitals for animals. No dog on the street goes hungry. They have hospitals for animals. They care for animals. And he was, he was saying this, you know, to, to his people, that, that look how advanced they are. We don't have hospitals for human beings. People can die in the street and we leave them there for days. 
And yet, in, in the Muslim lands, no dog on the street goes hungry. And if a dog is ill, if a, if a street animal is ill, they will take it to the hospital. They have hospitals specifically for, for animals. In the 17th century, in the Ottoman Empire, uh, Damascus was part of the Ottoman Empire, the, Fr the French lawyer Gur, a f a famous, another French, famous French writer from the 17th century, this is going back nearly 400 years, he mentioned in his book a, a hospital that he came across in Damascus where sick, only sick cats and dogs were being treated. And he has, there were plenty of physicians there who were experts, who were experts in caring for, for cats and dogs. This is going back to the 17th century. This is unbelievable. This is something that, that Islam encourages. So it's something that we have to bring back into our lives. And like I said, it stems from our belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our levels of taqwa, as soon as they begin to improve, and our levels of taqwa, as they begin to increase, automatically we'll find ourselves caring for those around us. You see, when you start fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you start fearing the repercussions of your actions. When you start getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and your levels of taqwa begin to increase, you start caring about those around you, and you start caring about the environments around you. And this is extremely important, and this is something that we need to bring back into our lives if we were to, um, uh, to mirror the... Uh, the Ummas or the, the nations of the past and our pious predecessors who took so much care in some of these things. Now I mentioned at the beginning that Islam aims at creating a society that does not only implement Allah's laws but it also adopts certain values. And, and that's something that has become part of our culture to ensure our, our strength as a coherent, uh, caring society. And this is something that has started with the Prophet wasallam. When he went to Medina, he didn't aim to create a society or a civilization that was built upon uh, war or that was built upon aggressive pursuit of lands or aggressive pursuit of, 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 of wealth. This was not the concern of the Prophet ﷺ. He wanted to create that utopian society. And what was that utopian society? Where every member of the community, where every individual was supported and they worked together for one sole purpose and that sole purpose was to earn the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You see, naturally when we work together to do something, we're going to do it better, right? You know, if we're building something and, and, and there's a building that needs to be built, a, mos a masjid, think of this masjid, this masjid needed to be built and we had one person who may have been the expert in the world and he, there was nobody better than him at building buildings. And he, but he's one individual. He would have taken years, decades perhaps, to build a building in his image. However, if we had the same uh, thought process across the entire community, and 200 people, 300 people got together with the same purpose, that building would be built just like that. Right? It would come into being. So when we work together to achieve something, we do it better and that's what the Prophet ﷺ was trying to tell the companions of the Prophet when he took the hand of an Ansari, he took the hands of a, a Muhajir and he placed it in the hands of an Ansari. And he said, these migrants, don't think of them as immigrants who have nothing to do with you. They are your brothers. And their level of taqwa was so much, the, the Ansar, the helpers, they turned and they said, 
They made statements like, you know that bond of brotherhood that the Prophet ﷺ made, and that bond of brotherhood that the Prophet ﷺ gave us. That bond of brotherhood became more stronger to us than our actual bond that we had with our blood brothers and sisters. That became more important. Because they understood one thing. They understood that the Prophet ﷺ was trying to create a society that was built on love and understanding, that was built on mutual respect. And he achieved that. He وسلم, achieved that. Like I said, the, the, the hadith of the goat's head, right? When meat was slaughtered and it was given to one individual, and this person was, was, was a poor individual, he had a, he had a, his family was poor. So he thinks to himself, well, yes, my family is poor, and yes, we need this, but perhaps there's someone else who's more deserving than I am. And he thinks of a family that has more children than he does, and he gives that, and he passes that over to them, even though he and, he and his own family were starving. And he gives it to them, and when it reaches that person, the, the second person, he thinks of a third person who is more deserving of it, than, than, or who is more in need of it, than he is. And he passes it on to the fourth. The fourth thinks of a fifth person and his family passes it on to the fifth. The fifth thinks of a sixth person and passes it on to, the, to, to, to him and his family. And the sixth person thinks of a seventh. And the seventh was the first person who gave it out in the first place. And it came back all the way to the first person. This just goes to show, well, why is that the case? The case was that people were looking out for others. People were caring for others. They didn't care. You see those, that first person, he didn't think to himself, well, actually, you know, the second person, I don't really like him that much. I don't really like his family. He's not a really nice person, so I'm not going to give it to him. I'd rather give it to somebody else. No. That thought process never crossed his mind. He just saw someone who, is in, who was in more need of it than he was. That's it. Like and dislike didn't even factor. It didn't even factor. And that, that's, that's the essence of our religion. That's the essence of our beautiful tradition and our culture, which we have completely lost. Now we're, we, we are so nationalistic. We're unbelievably nationalistic. Creed is so important to us. Caste is so important to us. In fact, in some ways, and, and, and in many examples, I've seen it myself, where people give preference to caste over religion. They give preference to nationality over their own faith. This happens. Oh, I'm not going to let my son marry this uh, Muslim uh, girl, or I'm not going to let my daughter marry that Muslim boy. Muslim doesn't even factor into the equation. Sorry, I'm, I'm from this part of the world and they're from that part of the world. Our cultures just don't mesh. Oh, I'm sorry, you know, my caste is. I have come from a, a, a wealthy, respectable family. Who are they? They have no name. They have no lineage. Didn't the Prophet ﷺ 1400 years ago tell us that he's come to do away with all of this? Your lineage means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. It does not matter. You can come from the best of lineage. You can have the best of parents who had the best of parents who had the best of parents. But those parents are not going to take you to Jannah. They're not going to save you from the adab of the fire. You're going to have to do that. Every individual, our actions depend on ourselves. Right? They're not carried on from generation to generation. This is not like a royal family. We're talking about the royal family now, right? And the split with the... This is not like the royal family. 
that you just inherit good deeds from your from 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 your forefathers and from your fathers. That just that doesn't happen. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is not going to say on your grammar, oh yeah, of course you're going to go to Jannah. You've inherited the deeds from you know generations back, irrespective of who you were and how you acted and how you behaved in this world. No, Allah is going to question you, specifically you and I. And say, what did you do to improve the situation of, of those around you? Don't, don't tell me who your parents were. We don't care about your parents. We don't care about your grandparents and who they were and where they came from. No, you, what did you do? And this is why from the very beginning, the Prophet ﷺ, when he created that society and he made people brothers of one another, right? And when he went to the Kaaba, after conquering Makkah in the 8th century, coming back victorious, this is the land where the Prophet ﷺ, they were thrown out of. And when he comes back to that land, how did the Prophet ﷺ respond? Did the Prophet ﷺ say, yes, we're the leaders, we're back. Everybody else, you all are slaves. No. He said, whoever enters the vicinity of the Kaaba, you're safe. Whoever enters the house of Abu Sufyan and stays, whoever stays within their own homes, they're safe. Go for you all free. There's no recompense for you today. Today is the day of mercy. It's not the day of bloodshed. The Prophet ﷺ didn't say, well, actually, we're going to create a caste system. You know, he destroyed that without even having to say it. When he said to Sayyidina Bilal, ta'ala, and then stand up and give the adhan, O Bilal. Who was this Bilal? You know, Bilal to the companions and those who arrived was a magnificent individual. Bilal was that same companion who would always give the adhan. Bilal was that same companions about whom the Prophet ﷺ said, Oh Bilal, I hear your footsteps in Jannah. This was that Bilal. So the companions already understood his significance. The companions already knew how important and how special Bilal was to them. They, didn't, they saw beyond the color of Bilal's skin. They looked at Bilal's actions, those actions which propelled him to such a high level that the Prophet ﷺ is telling them that he can hear Bilal's footsteps in Jannah. So they already knew that. So the Prophet ﷺ didn't send Bilal on top of the Kaaba. This is the only time the Adhan has been given on top of the Kaaba. And since it hasn't been given ever on top of the Kaaba. Why was that? You see, there's a significance behind those actions that we, we, don't, we don't contemplate. So that the people could see him. This is the same Bilal. This is the same individual who had, you had no respect for. This is the same Bilal who you thought was worthless. He had no worth to you. He was the same Bilal that you dragged through the streets of this city. He was the same Bilal that you placed rocks on top of his chest. And tried to make him renounce his faith. This is that same Bilal, and this is who he is today. This is what he means to us. These are the actions that he's accumulated. This is a status that he's accumulated in our eyes. It was for them to see that. It was for those people to see that. That Islam is not going to give preference to an individual just because you're from a decent tribe. Just because you're from the, 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 the leading tribes of the Quraysh, automatically you seem to have a, a level of standing within the community that is better than anybody else's. No, that was never the case. So don't take, don't take pride in, in your lineages. Don't think for one moment that your lineage is going to take you and propel you to that level on Yom Al-Qiyamah where you'll be able to enter Jannah just on the basis of it. That's not going to happen. Bilal, you know, uh, he earned that status. 
He earned that status. And he didn't earn it because, the, because of the color of his skin. It wasn't a show and tell. Well, okay, we need to have one representative at least from, from the African community. So let's make Bilal that representative. No, that was never the thought process. Like I said, the Prophet didn't see the color of his skin. The Prophet saw the beauty of his actions. When he said to them, I hear your footsteps in Jannah, Bilal, what is it that you do? What is it that you do? Tell the people. Tell the people there is something that you do that enable me to hear your footsteps in Jannah. Bilal says, I don't do anything specific, nothing in particular. I only come to the masjid and, 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 I, and I read two, two rakat nafil before the prayer. That's all I do. And the Prophet ﷺ praised that action. This was who Bilal was. And Bilal isn't the only example. You see, you know, when you look at the, uh, the, the battles that the Prophet ﷺ fought, and like I said, that utopian society that the Prophet ﷺ wanted to create, it wasn't a society that was built or predicated on, 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 on the amount of, 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 of caste systems that they had or the, the amount of nobility that they had. No, that was never the case. And it wasn't built on trying to spread and, and, and take over and conquer. No, it was to create a society where everybody was living peacefully. Everybody has love and compassion for one another. That's why people wanted to join his community. That's why non-Muslims were encouraged to join the community. There were tribes of Jews in Medina who said, we're going to get more, uh, more justice from Muhammad sallallahu than we'll receive from our own judges. And they would bring their cases to the Prophet sallallahu as opposed to going to judges who were members of their own faith. This is who the Prophet sallallahu was. This is what his justice was like. When, uh, during the, one of the battles, when, when the mushrikeen were coming to attack, and they were in large number, and the Muslims were talking among themselves, what should we do? And the Prophet would always talk to them, take advice from them. And some of them said, no, 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 they were young blood, right? We were, Let's go out and fight them when Muslims were on the haq. And what was there was one companion, Suhaib, right? Uh, Salman, sorry, who was from Faris. Who was from Persia, blonde haired and blue eyed. And what did he say? He said, If I may say, if I may interject, you know, if we had this situation, then, you know, we would, what we would do is we'd build a trench or, or we'd dig a trench outside of our city. And the trench would be wide enough and deep enough that nobody would be able to cross it. And therefore, we'd be protecting ourselves from one side. And the Prophet said, That's a good idea. Let's adopt that. Let's do that. There weren't companions there. There were companions like Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, like Umar, like Uthman, like Ali. These were members of, of, not only were they important members of the Prophet's community, some of them were family members of the Prophet They could have said, no, Ya Rasulullah, why are you listening to him for? Who is he? Listen to us. He doesn't know this land. We know this land. He doesn't know those people who are coming to attack us. We know those individuals. Listen to us. No. Neither did they interject. That goes to show what kind of community the Prophet ﷺ was trying to make and what, trying to, what type of message the Prophet ﷺ was trying to send to not only his community, and his community is the best of communities, right? There's no doubt about that. The Sahaba, right? they're, the, they're the best. The Prophet ﷺ say, said that خَيْرٌ nasi qarni. The best of people are those who live in my time, then those that follow them and then those that follow them. 
So there are our pious predecessors there who we look to towards uh, we, we look towards for guidance. We look at the examples that they set for us. The examples that propel them to such a level that the Prophet ﷺ calls them the best of people. The Prophet ﷺ said, my community will enter into Jannah first. And from my community, from my ummah, it will be my companions who will enter Jannah first. They earned that status. And they earned, that, earned it not, not merely because of the fact that they were associated with the Prophet ﷺ. We can't say that, that just because they were companions of the Prophet, they earned that. No, not only were they companions of the Prophet wasallam, they were also the best in terms of their actions. They had the highest levels of taqwa, the highest levels of God consciousness. Da'amal, you know, there were companions among them who would say, I don't have much fast and I don't have much this and I don't have much that. But I love Allah and His Messenger and the Prophet wasallam, you're going to be with the one you love. You know, some of us are confused and think, oh, well, these individuals, perhaps they didn't pray and fast often enough. You know what the companions and what the late latter scholars would, when they came across a hadith like that, they would say what the companions meant there was, I don't have extra prayers and extra fasts on top of those that I already have to perform. So they, they fulfilled their obligations, right? They prayed their prayers five times a day. They never missed a prayer. They kept their fasts. They never missed their fasts. They were the best of people. And it's our job to emulate them, not only in terms of their actions, but also in terms of their character, and in terms of their nobility, and how they behaved with one another, how they cared for each other. We look at some of those leaders, like I mentioned Sayyidina Umar, saying that you know, if a dog dies at the bank of, of the river Euphrates, Umar will be asked about it on Yom Al-Qiyamah. Umar who had never been to the bank of the river Euphrates just because his empire extended to that. He had so much God consciousness, so much taqwa that he felt that because that comes under my control, even a dog dying there, I'm going to, repro- I'm, I'm going to be approached about it. I'm going to be questioned about it. This was his level of God consciousness. And this is what we need to bring back into our lives if we want our communities to be successful. We have to bring this back into our lives. If we want to to create a semblance of that utopian society of the Prophet let's bring this understanding back to our, into our lives. Let's start caring. The Quran talks about the neighbor who is, who is close and the neighbor who is further away. Care for them is your responsibility. Let's start caring for them. Your parents are your parents. You're duty bound to care for them anyway. Your family members are your family members. You're duty bound to care for them anyway. That's your obligation. But also start caring for your neighbors. And care for your neighbors in a way that you think that the Prophet ﷺ would do. How would the Prophet, in this situation, how would the Prophet ﷺ respond? How would the companions of the Prophet ﷺ respond in this situation? If everybody started caring for each other and started caring for their neighbors, irrespective of whether their neighbors were Muslims or non-Muslims, that's what well, Jar al-Junub is mentioned in the Quran. And Jar al-Junub, Imam al-Qurtubi states that this this neighbor further away doesn't only mean the neighbor who is further away in distance, it means the neighbor who is further away in, in terms of iman. So non-Muslims would be included in that. So a, 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 a non-Muslim neighbor would be your neighbor who is further away perhaps from your deen, from your religion. It's your responsibility to bring them closer to your religion. And how do you go about doing that? By taking the Quran and giving it to, giving it to them and say, here you go, this is my religion. Go and read about it. No. They should see that religion manifest in you. They should see that religion manifest in your actions. 
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give me and you the tawfiq and the ability to act upon the teachings of the Quran, the noble sunnah, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us into communities that can and show compassion towards one another. You know, we're, we're at a stage now that forget about non-Muslims. We as Muslims are unable to care for each other. We as Muslims, as, as, one, as members of one universal ummah, don't care for one another and don't have that compassion and that understanding for one another. You know, one person says something and automatically we take it in, into a different way. No, be understanding towards each other. Try to create a semblance of that community of the Prophet. Think how the Prophet ﷺ must feel when, when, when we, you know, when we have our interactions with one another and we don't care for each other and we don't have that relationship that the Prophet ﷺ would like and how the Prophet ﷺ will feel on Yom Al-Qiyamah seeing that members of his own community, members of his own ummah reacted that way after him. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from among those whom the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is pleased with on Yawm al-Qiyamah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes us among those whom the shafa'ah of the Prophet alayhi salatu wa sallam works for on Yawm al-Qiyamah. Wa akhiru da'wana. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.